what I want you to do now is either grab your phone or grab a piece of paper, and I would like you to write down two, uh, two questions, out your answer to two questions. That'll get us started into the Word of God, and we're going to receive communion at the end of this. But first of all, I'd like you to write down your answer to my question. Who are you? Who are you? Jot down some thoughts, jot down some answers, and we're going to revisit that in a minute. That's the first question. I'll give you a moment to answer it. And then I'll give you the second question. Who are you? Okay, that's who you are, maybe. <laughs> maybe you're going to add to it as we go along. Second question, what habits or choices reinforce who you are? What are some of the things that you've chosen to build into your life to reinforce who you are or to apply your identity to your life? What habits or choices reinforce who you are for you. We're not talking about shoulds or ought tos. We're talking about what do you do? <laughs> what works for you? There's no right or wrong answer other than the right answer for you. There's no... Uh, <laughs> let me just say this. What you've written is safe. Okay? only person who's going to see it besides you is God. I'm not going to tell you that you've got to come and read it out or anything like that. So feel safe, but be honest. Because I want to speak a little bit this morning about some, some insights that Jane and I have brought back from that two-week retreat we went on with Father Heart Ministries a couple of weeks ago. And who knows, this will probably turn into some kind of series or something, but... I want to talk about pioneering, but not the kind of pioneering we think of when we talk about pioneering. If we talk about pioneers, we think Wild West. We think rugged individualism. We think, don't need anything from anybody, got my horse, got my gun, got my whatever, you know, get out of my garden, <laughs> or whatever it may be. I'm not talking about that kind of pioneering, but I want us to recognize and acknowledge that we are pioneering. We are pioneering in a new era. You know, church history has eras in it, doesn't it? You know, there was the era that we read about in the New Testament. A couple of hundred years, maybe, depending on how you add it up. But there's all kinds of exciting stuff going on. Then there was another big era after that, that you could actually call an error, not an era, where it all became kind of fossilized. <laughs> From about 350, 400 AD onward, everything kind of got lost. But there was this era where everything was hidden away in monasteries and hidden away in cathedrals, and the ordinary people didn't benefit. And then there's the era that started when that weird guy, Martin Luther, started nailing his... Facebook post to the door of the church 
<laughs> and we're heirs of that, right? Where salvation is by grace, <laughs> and we believe the scriptures and we can read them, which was a breakthrough. Uh, and there's you know, how many Bibles have you got in your house? I mean, we've got dozens. <laughs> the printing press. <laughs> made all that possible. I've got to be careful. I'm chasing squirrels here. Anyway, there are eras in the church, and we are in the beginning of a new era as the body of Christ. And so you and I are pioneering in a new era. But the way we're pioneering is we're pioneering from rest. You all look puzzled. Let me explain a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Let me start with two key scriptures that will kind of get us going here. John 13, verse 35, for those who are taking notes. John 13, verse 35, says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. i got news for you, Catch the Fire family. People know that you are disciples of Jesus. Because I watch you and you love one another. And people see it. And you can feel it when you walk in. There is a love in our gathering. It's nothing about this room as much as the people in this room. Because remember, church is not a building. Church is not a Sunday meeting. Church is people. But there's love in this church family. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There is going to be widespread impact of the love that we have because that's what Jesus said it would do. And then the second scripture, 1 John 4 verse 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Both of those very familiar verses but it's important we remember them and remind ourselves of them, especially when we've been worshipping together and enjoying God's presence like we have this morning. Because there are three truths that we can pull out, not just of those two verses or those two scriptures, but from this whole book. Three key truths. Number one, God is love. Not God feels love, not God wants to be love, God is is love. It's his very nature. It's how he lives. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are love. God is love. So if you know God, but you don't know love, you miss something. Number two, love is a gift from God to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or what we read in in first john there in this the love of god was made manifest among us that god sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him same thought 
same truth. Love is a gift from God to us. And then the third truth is that people will know us by our love for one another. Because you see, you can't be loved by God and not love other people. I'm sure you'd realize that because I see you all demonstrating it every week. Whenever we get together, whenever I see you, you're loving other people because you've been loved by God. So, if I start to apply those three truths, and this is where we start to look into what is this new era that we're pioneering a new path into. This is why we look a little different from other churches, by the way. We're not saying we're better, we're just saying we're different. There's no place in what I've just described for any kind of independent self-effort. You can't be a John Wayne type Christian, especially in the old westerns for the pioneers. You know, we are pioneering, but we're not pioneering like the movies pioneer. There's no place for independent self-effort. But then on the other hand, I know many of us have been in church for a long time, and you need to hear this very clearly and very strongly. There is no place in what I've just described for any shame or condemnation for not measuring up. There is no place for condemnation or shame because I don't measure up. Because God is love, and God gives the gift of love to all of us, and all of us are known by our love for one another. Well, there's no room for condemnation or shame in that picture, is there? However, <laughs> most of us live with condemnation and shame, and or we live by independent self-effort. Sometimes we live by independent self-effort in response to our condemnation and shame, and there's a double bind. Yeah? Or am I the only one? Okay. <laughs> you don't need to raise a hand. If you go back to the beginning, it's always a good idea to go back to the beginning. I know I go back to the beginning a lot, but that's because it's the foundation. Right? If you go back to the beginning, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, remember how God designed humanity to be. Because we're a long way off from our design, even those of us who've known Jesus for a long time. And God's in the business of restoring and redeeming. But if you look at the original design, we are created as the image of God. Right? That's what it says. Human beings are the image of God. We're to be the co-rulers of creation. God creates this amazing world. And he's like, and I'm going to make human beings to run the show with me. Did you realize that? <laughs> We're supposed to be running the show not being run by it. It's glorious. We, we're so familiar with it, we skip over it. But it's glorious to be appointed and created to be a co-ruler with God. He gets to the end of the sixth day and he looks at all he's done and he says it's very good. First time God says it's very good is when he's got human beings to rule with. And we're created 
for relationship. Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening, in the garden, the place where heaven touches earth, the place where God likes to hang out. That's what we're created for. But also, we're created for rest. <laughs> because Adam and, uh, well, let me not say Adam and Eve, because she's not called Eve till later. The man and the woman are created on the sixth day. Track this with me, okay? Maybe the afternoon of the sixth day, because a lot of other stuff happened on the sixth day too. What happens on the seventh day? God rested. He's like, okay, I'm done. Now, day one, how is it described? There was evening and there was morning the first day. Day two, the same. Day three, the same. There was evening, there was morning the sixth day. Day seven hasn't got one of those. We're still in day seven. You look like I just blew your minds. That's okay. This is God we're talking about. If he doesn't blow your mind, we missed it. Day seven has no end. Can you feel that? You're supposed to be in rest. Because God's stopped striving. God isn't wringing his hands. God's on the throne. He's made it. And he's in charge of it. And we're doing it with him. So he wants us to rule from rest. But this is so different from what we've been taught in church, isn't it? <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting we just go to bed, pull the covers over and go to sleep. <laughs> Quite the contrary. I don't believe that's what Adam and Eve were doing. In fact, they, for a start, they weren't covered. <laughs> that's another thing. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. The man and the woman were naked and unashamed. Genesis 2, verse 25. Nothing hidden. Not trying to cover anything up. No effort involved. Not trying to hide anything. Until chapter 3. And as we know, it all goes wrong. The fall messes it all up. The fall injects twisting and failure into the picture. And unfortunately, we're still living in this as well. But it doesn't take away what we were designed to live in. So there's two things going on, and we get to choose which side of the fence we want to, to be. <laughs> Genesis 3, there's this character called the opponent, or the serpent. The Satan, he's called in some other places, is a spiritual being who's opposed to humanity because he's opposed to God. Do you get that? The opponent, the enemy, is opposed to you because you look like God. That's okay, because <laughs> God's bigger than he is. God's already won. But he lies, he deceives, he steals. And it's all rooted in one phrase, which we see in Isaiah 14. I will make myself. 
I will take matters into my own hands and I will take care of this and I will make myself like the Most High. And so he gets the man and the woman to disobey God and to eat from the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong, the knowledge of good and evil. So I'm taking charge of my own destiny when I do that. Oh yeah, I will do that. Did you catch those words? I will. Who do I sound like now? The wrong one. God doesn't ever say, I will, because he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They create by saying, let us. Anybody here ever had a thought that takes matters into your own hands? You don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody here breathing? Right? We're all in the same boat, aren't we? The result, though, is as a travesty of what God designed us for. It's a complete corruption for me to be my own God. It's a disaster, but it's a disaster for which God has an answer. You see, what we live with too much is broken relationship. Because if I've got a broken relationship vertically between me and my Heavenly Father, I'm also going to have broken relationships horizontally with all of you. Because I'm not very nice to know when I'm not in a good relationship with my Heavenly Father. I should hand the microphone over to Jane. <laughs> and it's true for you too, right? If this relationship's out of whack, well, all of these ones go pear-shaped as well. There's shame and there's condemnation, isn't there? I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And of course, the enemy loves to point the finger. He loves to remind you of your failures in the middle of the night or just when you're about to have a success or when you're facing some challenge. He's like, oh, you can't do that. Remember, whatever. Yeah? And death comes in because of the lies of the enemy. But God has an answer to death. It's resurrection. Right? Turn over to John 3 with me and let's just look for a little bit about what Jesus talked to Nicodemus about. Because he's trying to teach this teacher <laughs> what this teacher really needs to know. He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You were born, but really you're dead. So you need to be born again. Different birth. Born of the spirit and not of the flesh. Let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. You probably don't have the Passion Translation there, but I'm going to just read two or three verses here. Jesus answered, this is verse 3, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can even perceive God's kingdom, they must first experience a rebirth. Then in verse 5, he says, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you will never enter God's kingdom. For the natural realm only gives birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm 
gives birth to supernatural life. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement, you all must be born from above, for the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it is with those who are spirit born. What Jesus is pointing to and what Jesus is promising and what Jesus is inviting us into is supernatural life, resurrection life, rebirth. And it starts with me spiritually and reconnects me to my heavenly father, but it overflows into my mind, will and emotions, my soul and into all of my relationships with other people. So you've got to get the one first before you get the other. It's a little bit like if I don't pay the electric bill, we can't have air conditioning. The power's got to be on before you can have the cool that you long for when it's so hot around outside, right? Or the heat in the winter. <laughs> so that rebirth connects me to God, and then the result is... It's nicer to be around me because the power is working. It's doing what it was designed to do. All right. Now, you're wondering, what does this have to do with what we wrote down, Mark? Well, I'm going to show you in just a second here. <laughs> it very quickly unites me with other people. So it's important who I am, it's important who you are, because God connects us to one another. And it's Holy Spirit's job to do that. That's why in our gatherings together we always look for what is Holy Spirit doing. That's why we always honor his presence. That's why the prayer time this morning was basically four ladies laying on the carpet and laughing because and crying and and just allowing God to have his way. That's why the worship time this morning wasn't really quite how I'm sure Jane and Jan had planned it, but some of the songs were there, but it was his flowing presence that we all stepped into. So we make room for him. That's why I say we're pioneering, because most of us haven't experienced church that way. We've experienced church where the plan is all laid out and we know where we're going and we know when it's going to be time to leave. It's okay, I'm not going to go on too long. But, you know, we know that we can get to the buffet on time or whatever it might be. But when you're pioneering a new thing, you have to be ready to take a new path. Jesus promised in John 14 a comforter, a helper. The Greek word is paraclete. It's somebody who comes alongside to help you. Now, most of the translations call him a legal advocate. Now, if you're in trouble, you need a legal advocate. You need an attorney. If you need an attorney, I know a good one. <laughs> but most of us don't need an attorney in daily life. But it's not just a legal attorney. It's actually a good friend who will come and help you clean up when the pipe burst or help you organize your closet or, or just come around and hear what you're going through. It's someone who comes alongside to support and to help and to comfort. When 2 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about God is the father of all comfort, it's the same word, parakletos. 
In other words, any time you feel pain or strain or emptiness, God is there to comfort. It's the Holy Spirit who reminds us of all that Jesus has said and all that Jesus has done. It's the Holy Spirit who comes, when we're going to take communion in a few minutes here, He comes to remind us that this is all happening in your life as a gift from God. So we're transformed by comfort, not by effort. That's a revelation from our trip. <laughs> but I wanted to share it with you. You're not transformed by trying harder. You're transformed by God's comfort increasing in your life. That's my new definition of rest, by the way. <laughs> Be transformed by comfort, not by effort. The old way is to do things for God to establish your identity. But the new way is to do things from rest in your identity in God. I told you we were going to get back to what you wrote down at the beginning. What you wrote down, how does that compare with your identity in God? Did you write down who you are in Him? Or would you like to add to it now? Do you live with a godly identity to rest in? I believe you do. But I also believe he's adding to it this morning and underlining it and nudging you about parts of it. And then my second question was, what habits or choices help you reinforce your identity? Are your habits and choices helping your godly identity? See, the pioneering we're doing is to prioritize God's presence and God's provision over human perspective and human effort. It's not easy. But I've got three habits or choices that I've dug out of Scripture. And again, some of this comes from us being away the last two weeks. Three things that you and I can choose that can really help us to live out of rest and to pioneer a new way. The first is community. You see, this whole book is about community. God chose a family that became a nation that could model all of these principles and this original design that we've talked about to the world, but they couldn't do it or they wouldn't do it. <laughs> and so Israel ended up not being the answer in the fullness of time, we, we, they were the. Let me say that carefully. Jesus came out of that to make that available to everybody. So the beauty of the New Testament is that now everybody gets to live what Israel tried and failed to live. For us, it means like belonging to a church family. What it looks like is committing to meeting together, not just coming on a Sunday, but actually interacting with one another, actually sharing love with one another, actually having the time to demonstrate community. 
Because in our demonstrating community, we're declaring God is a God of community. And we're restoring that original design to be co-rulers with him and with one another. So community is one choice to make. Because I have to agree with God that I can't represent God on my own. So it's very common these days, oh yes, I believe in Jesus, but I don't go to church. Well, sadly, you're not really being the image of God. Because one human being is not the answer. It's a community of human beings that's the answer. And we are seeking to be that kind of family. Now, you can't really be safely part of that family if you're still all about pretending or hiding. (laughs) Because it doesn't work. So we want this to be a place where it's safe to be real, even though you're not perfect yet. Anybody here perfect? Okay, I'm talking to the right people. So that's one principle, is community. And please don't hear me wrong. See, the danger of saying stuff like this is that you're hearing me saying, oh, you're here to do this. No, I'm not saying that at all. This is an invitation from your loving Father, the one we were enjoying his presence in the worship. He's saying, here, this is what I've got for you. These are my gifts for you. His first gift is community. Second habit or choice is financial. How many of you have gone, oh no, he's going to ask me for money? I'm not. I don't want your money. I want your heart to be connected to him. But I do want to share with you something that I've seen and I've learned and Jane and I have been living out is that when I return my tithe, that first 10% to God, he deals with all the rest of it. And what I'm doing is I'm saying I'm trusting you with every detail of my life including my finances. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is, right? So Abram started it. He gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek, who represented God. And then God instructs all these offerings through the Old Testament to remind us that everything we've got came from him anyway. I was listening to a podcast this week where it said that they didn't butcher any animals in the in the 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 wilderness, you know, the, the nation of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness, they had to bring that animal to the tabernacle and say, This is a gift from God, but then they get to keep the meat. <laughs> you know? So they didn't go off to some other place and, and buy what they needed to eat. They're saying, No, no, every time I recognize that this is God's gift to me. But then you look into Malachi and we see that Israel just couldn't or wouldn't do it the way God said. So we as a church family tithe to the Catch the Fire family. It goes into the world budget to be able to make a difference all around the world. So you are having an impact everywhere. And you know what? God looks after our finances. Jane and I tithe into Catch the Fire. It says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So we bring our tithe into this. This is our storehouse. We don't get paid by Catch the Fire Myrtle Beach, but we bring our tithe into this storehouse because our commitment is to the family. I'm telling you this because I know that many of us don't necessarily operate that way, and I don't want you to miss out. 
So it's very tempting to hedge my bets, especially financially. <laughs> you know, yes, I'm serving God, but I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm going to just diversify more, my portfolio a bit. <laughs> I'm going to keep some of that tithe because actually I can't afford some of these other things that I need. Or, or I'm going to save it up in case God t calls me to do something or whatever. And, and what I'm doing is actually unwittingly robbing myself of that open and free relationship with God. And the third principle or habit or choice is rest. You see, the Sabbath was created to demonstrate that we are different from everybody else. Sabbath is not about do you take Saturday off and don't even touch a dishwasher. They didn't have dishwashers in ancient Israel, but you know I'm just modernizing it. It's not about how well can you do the not doing something. It's about how much can you trust the one who gave you the Sabbath as a gift. It's all about trust. But Sabbath is a routine of rest. God created us for rest. We said that already, didn't we? But that's the reason Israel went into exile, is because they'd stopped keeping the Sabbath. And so God said, well, I'll make you keep the Sabbath. You're going to go away for <laughs> multiple Sabbaths until it all gets put back. Because God created us not to say... You know, I'm, I'm going to use my rest time for other work-like tasks. It's not my actual work, but there's all this other work I've got to get, it, get done, and I'm going to do that instead. I'm not going to just rush into every day without pausing to rest in God. Do you know what happens when you rest in God? You receive his comfort. The very comfort we were just talking about. The stuff that transforms us. His love pours into us. So don't hear any legalism in what I'm telling you. What I'm saying is there are invitations from the Holy Spirit to step into a new level of trust so we experience what we were designed to experience. I'm dwelling in God's constant eternal presence. And it reflects in the way I live. It reflects in the way I do community we had dinner with somebody the other day. And they said to us, aren't you scared by all this quite wild stuff I'm telling you? Said, no, I'm not scared at all. You love Jesus and we love Jesus too and it's cool. It's all right. Like, really? <laughs> Community is very different when it's resting in God's love. So in our pioneering... We're not pioneering old patterns. We're not trying harder to do something. We're not, we're, we're not being guides. You know, a few weeks back I spoke about spiritual mothering and fathering. The church is very good at having guides. Oh, I know the way to go. Do this like me. God wants fathers and mothers. How can I raise you up into who you're meant to be? You know, you are supposed to be different from you and you're supposed to be different from you, and, and so on. How can I help you become who you're meant to be, like a true spiritual father or mother? 
think the only measure we use around here is freedom and wholeness. We don't count numbers. It's not a good week this week because there's about three or four more people here than there were last week. <laughs> it's not a bad week last week because the offering was only 50 bucks. We don't measure by those kinds of things. We measure by how much are you becoming who God wanted you to be. But I want you to see that's pioneering. Because it's a new era that we're entering into. Where God wants the world to see how much he loves you and me and all of us. In the way we love one another. Holy Spirit help us. So what has God nudged you about this morning? Let's just pause for a moment before we prepare to come and receive communion. What has God nudged you about? For you to receive from him? Or to give back to him? <laughs> or to share with one another? Because he's in the business of helping us walk a new path. And we here are pioneering a family of relationship with one another and with God that restores us to God's design, that re-envisions us and releases us into kingdom impact, not by human effort, but in a context of rest. Hebrews tells us to strive to enter his rest. <laughs> to do that, you need to live in your full identity. The way God designed you to be, the way God created you to be. And all of us know other people who need to be invited into that as well. That's another whole message for another day. But Father, as we sit quietly before you for a second here, what's the one thing you want to whisper to my heart? that's for me. Not something Mark said that struck me wrong, but something that you want to say to my heart that will help me grow another step into who you created me to be. And as he shows you that, just say yes. Father, I bless the patterns and the choices and the habits that you're forming in each one of us, different for each one. I bless those reinforcements that enable us to walk more effectively in your ways and in your design for us. I ask you for a fresh outpouring of encouragement and affirmation in our church family. That you would increase that, that we would be able to be for one another the voice of God that says, well done.
I love you. You can do it. Let's do it together. And so we thank you, Father, that you provided a way for us to be reminded every time we meet of all that Jesus has done and of all that that implies. Thank you for a body that was pierced and broken for us. And thank you for blood that is life shed for us to receive again. We're going to receive the bread and the wine. And as you come to receive, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Firstly, before you come, I'd like you to put your shame, not just on your chair, but on the ground. Any sense of condemnation or shame is not from God. It's from the Satan, the one who opposes you. Well, what did we sing? He's under my feet. So, just metaphorically in your mind's eye, say, okay, that is shame. It might be true, but it doesn't have the power to keep me from coming to receive what God has done. So I put it on the ground, and it's under my feet, and then come forward and receive. Okay? Come and receive just for yourself. This is different from what we normally do. Come and receive just for yourself because God has a gift for you as you receive the elements. But then, having received, go and affirm or encourage or bless somebody else. Is that clear? Shame down. Under my feet. Come and receive. Having received, go and affirm or bless somebody else. Let's go.